right. All right. All right, step one. Okay. One down. Got the first W in the book. Here's what you do right now. I need you to go get me a tall Asahi, very, very cold, a uh, bag of ice, and a bunch of Tiger Balls. All the Tiger Balls you can get, okay? Ah, son of a... Ain't even got to the ring yet, to the G1, and I'm getting jumped from behind. I'm getting hit with steel chairs. I'm getting hit with guardrails. This isn't going really well. Let me turn it back on track, though. So I think we also learned a valuable lesson. That lesson was taught to us tonight by Tai Chi. I don't know if he had a hair up his ass, if he was still a little uh, perturbed, because I didn't show up to the beauty pageant in Dallas or something like that. But I give him points for effort. I give him points for having guts to start the match that way. However, when he wakes up from his nap, when his symptoms fade and he can say coherent sentences, ask him this question. Was it a good idea to piss John Moxley off? Come on, man. You're supposed to give me more ideas. You're supposed to feed me lines. I'm out. All right. We got a big tag. Me and Shooter here. We got a big tag match tomorrow. We got first taste of Jeff Cobb, a man I respect. A man I don't necessarily know or like yet, but a man I do respect, a former Olympian. A lot of experience. Been to a lot of places around the world wrestling, a lot of different styles. So he knows full well all the different ways I can beat him. More importantly, he knows full well all the different ways I can hurt him. See what happens when I just make stuff off the top of my head like that? Come on, write the script next time. quality banter with a self-appointed young boy showed a humano to the sweet saxophone tune of father and son by cat stevens hello and welcome to wild thing this is the john moxley career review podcast i am your uneducated host joey o'darty and today we look back at the midway point of john moxley's amazing g1 climax run from 2019 previously in episode two of the show myself and the awesome Matt Marr of WrestlingHeadlines.com looked back at Moxie's New Japan debut as he rocked Juice Robinson at the Battle of the Super Juniors to become the new US champion on his first night in the job. From there, we looked back at his sweet father and son relationship with Shooter and his battles against Jeff Cobb and Tai Chi, my boy Tai Chi, in the G1. But today's episode, Moxie hits the pedal to the floor as he hits a stride in G1, battling Ishii, Shingo, Nilo in this amazing G1 run. And to assist me in dissecting this piece of tasty, rich, creamy New Japan goodness is my guest. He is a pretty big wheel down the cracker factory that is the Wrestle Inn, and he is the host of New Japan Podcast. He is Kieran RH. Kieran, how the hell are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talking all things John Moxley, man. Oh, brilliant stuff. It's a real pleasure to get on for the listeners who aren't familiar with your work. What exactly is Noob Japan? 
Uh, it's my podcast, and we kind of just try and uh, put a spotlight each week on a different wrestler that's either been involved in Japan or from Japan, uh, you know, because it can be uh, quite daunting to get involved in Japanese wrestling with all these new names and faces and legends and promotions. And it's just, you know, we'll, we'll pick a wrestler and we'll talk about why they're great and, you know, just try and help people get a better understanding of some of the cool wrestlers over there. And also you do some pretty good interviews. What actually got me on, clued into yourself initially, was your interview with Michael Oku a couple of months back, which is really good. Yeah, no, I love uh, I love Michael Oku. I've been watching him over in the UK for so many years now. It's been wild to just see him develop and grow. It all kind of uh, climax with the five-star classic with Will Ospreay, which was just uh, an absolute epic of a match. Oh, it was a great match, a fantastic finish. Will Ospreay really truly is an absolute prick of a heel in wrestling today, and I love it. Yeah, no, it was a perfect finish. I was there for it. Um, I never miss a Rev Pro show in York Hall, and it was just unlike anything I've experienced there. I've been going there since probably about 2015, and it was just, it was next level stuff. Yeah, it's great stuff. Listen, anytime there's any good wrestling about, it's always good to get stuck in and get involved in it. And today's episode, obviously looking back at the New Japan career of uh, John Moxley. But before we do, we usually try and get a bit of a flavour about how the guest got into wrestling. So what introduced you to professional wrestling? What got you stuck in? How old were you? I feel like I just kind of came out of the womb because um, an old, I've got an older brother, five years. So, you know, I grew up watching what he wanted to watch and listen to what he wanted to listen to. And um, thankfully, he wanted to watch then WWF, and it was the Attitude Era, it was Stone Cold and all that jazz, um, you know, so I grew up watching and loving it. And then I think like most people, I kind of fell out of it. And then uh, I kind of got drawn back in, like secondary school time, I fell out of love with it. And then I don't know, when I was older, I kind of fell back in love with it. And then at a Rev Pro show, they had Shinsuke Nakamura, and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And it was, it opened up my eyes to New Japan and just this whole bigger world outside of WWE. And then, you know, ever since I've been the biggest advocate for New Japan and just wrestling out, like, you know, become a bigger fan of wrestling than just WWE. And, you know, I've been to Japan four times since to uh, go to New Japan events. The world was definitely opened up to you back then, but that's fantastic (laughs) to hear, like, you know, just to hear how people, you know, segue into things, especially things like New Japan, like myself, like it was Kurt Angle, that was the the connective tissue between, you know, American wrestling and Japanese wrestling when he hit New Japan, I was like, I have to check this place out, like, and again, it was this completely different environment, but I knew Kurt, and it was great to see him and how he interacted with other people there, and then from there we were off to the races, right, but um, yeah, lovely stuff, Kieran, so we know what got you into wrestling. The Attitude Era, and you've been watching for years, but tell someone, tell everyone that's listening at the moment, what is your absolute pinnacle of pro wrestling? Was it a match? Was it an angle? And what would you point them to? Probably say anything Shibata does. He's my all-time favourite. Um, I absolutely love Katsuyori Shibata. But for the most part, I find that with AEW now, I'm learning that I don't want to be sports entertained as such. I don't care so much for the promo side of things. I'm very much watching wrestling for the wrestling. Not that there's anything wrong with the promo side of things. It's great when it's done right. It's just to go from watching Japanese wrestling for so long where promos are few and far between. And it's usually just, you know, the end of a show, someone gets on the mic to send the crowd home happy. To have these whole segments in WWAW that are devoted to promos, it feels very alien to me. Yeah, I just love the the nitty gritty, you know, the thing that got me head over heels in love with New Japan was Shibata and Ishii, Matt. I'd never seen two people kick each other's ass like this in professional wrestling before. And it just opened my eyes to this whole new world. And it's kind of like stuck with me that I love this hard hitting style. It's something that Moxley during the G1 very much showed off as well. Definitely the, the authentic side of wrestling. It's believable yeah. and it, it draws you in for different reasons than you probably originally got into wrestling. And then you, you believe it. You look at Ishii, for example, and Shibata, like they're two absolute 
for lack of a better word, brick houses. They will yeah. absolutely fuck you up. They will hurt you. They will. It, there's no way, especially looking at this Ishii match that we wrote. There's no way this guy slept that night. Or Mox, for example. These guys go full on hard hitting and it's beautiful. Yeah, it just gives me a bigger appreciation knowing like, okay, there's no way that didn't hurt. You know, just getting slapped around the face or just dumped on your head from a German. I love the athletic side of things. You know, I love your Will Ospreys and your Ricochets and your high flying everything, but just uh, nothing gets me going in wrestling like a mean German suplex or something like that. Something that looks like it's going to hurt in the morning. Well, <laughs> yeah. This is a John Moxley, Dean Ambrose sort of career review podcast. And when was it that he popped up on your radar? When was it? What was your first impressions of the guy? So I, I think, I know the first time I saw him wrestle, I went to WrestleMania 28 in Miami. And obviously they do um, the access event around WrestleMania and they put on matches. And I'm not sure if at the time it was NXT or FCW. This is the Foley thing you're going to go with, right? Uh, I think that maybe would have been my first exposure to him. But then Access event, it was actually him versus Seth Rollins in a match. Oh, wow. And, you know, there wasn't many people there because, I, I, again, I think it may have been FCW still at the time. I'm sure it was FCW. It was, no, yes. No one really gave a shit about FCW. So, but I kind of knew who this Dean Ambrose guy was and he had some hype and the same with Seth Rollins. And I was like, oh, I'll watch this match. And it was really good. And I kind of kept my, my ears out and eyes out for them ever since. And then the night after WrestleMania 28, Moxley had a... Uh, dark match i think maybe a promo or something or maybe it was for superstars or whatever it was back then and he got a great reaction um so you know i had this re- this in-person uh, introduction to him that i loved and then of course the big thing that made me really give a shit about uh, moxley or ambrose and really start liking him was of course when he debuted as part of the shield yeah that was definitely a, a big pivotal point in the wwe timeline big faction that were not only believable and had pretty good work rates and strengths but they were actually you know built strong which never really happened around that era or pro- probably since so it's, it was definitely a big moment for ambrose and john moxley and this match now we come today is obviously new japan and we're looking at how john moxley adapted to the climate of new japan wrestling and the g1 climax and first of all before we get into this because we we have covered on further podcasts but john moxley in japan this was something that was never dreamed upon in the early months of 2019 yet here we are what were your thoughts on john moxley hopping into the g1 did you think this was going to be somewhere where he would thrive or were you thinking this guy's not cut out for this no, I think I I knew a little, like, you know, I'd seen some of his Moxley stuff and I knew, we all knew how pissed off he was with the WWE system and that he was going to be doing his all to show that this isn't Dean Ambrose. But before going into the G1, of course, he had his match with Juice Robinson at the Best of Super Juniors final, which I think is really underrated and I really fucking love it. Fabulous uh, match. Yeah. And then that's what, like, made me really comfortable and confident, like, okay, this isn't like Dean Ambrose. This is an entirely different man. He's settling right in. I love in that Juice match, there's a spot where Moxley is sat on the barricade and Juice just gives him this mean fucking lariat and uh, the sweat flies off of Moxley and his face is like someone's dumped a bucket of ice water on him. He just suddenly like shocks him and wakes up. And it's, I just always see that moment. It's him realizing, okay, this is different. I'm allowed to fight people. I'm allowed to be me. And it was just an awakening for him. Going into the G1, it, it just I was excited for it. I didn't have any nerves or doubts because he had had that match with Juice. And I loved stuck him in the opener with Shota a few nights later because it really made him feel part of New, J- New Japan rather than just a spectacle that he was really part of the roster. And it provided a nice little relationship between him, him and Shooter, of course, like because they were tagging all the way through this on the uh, undercard matches. And, yeah, like it was very, it was like a sampler of what was going to be happening for G1 with him and Juice mm-hmm. and with him and, Sh- and Shooter, obviously. And he had two really decent matches. Now, nothing really 
blow away, but two decent matches with Tai Chi and Jeff Cobb beforehand. What were your thoughts on how he adapted to the G1 initially? Do you think he was finding his feet early on? Yeah, I mean, I think he kind of got had a hard run against there to start because at the time Tai Chi was you know I love Tai Chi today I think he's fantastic I think he just he's a different person I don't necessarily in 2019 he was that great he kind of still had his doubters and I was one of them so the Tai Chi match was really run of the mill and the same for Jeff Cobb like he came into this G1 and we all had really high expectations and he just kind of didn't do anything and then a year later and then you know G1 Climax 31 as well was just a different competitor and now he's like oh, indeed the best in New Japan you know, I think they were just, they're quite two forgettable matches. And it's not necessarily anyone's fault. I just don't think Moxie necessarily gelled well with Tai Chi or Jeff Cobb in them matches. So the stage is set at this stage. So he's had two very average matches with Tai Chi and Jeff Cobb. And yeah. he's got two wins out of two in Block B. And he's coming in here facing the hard-hitting Tomohiro Ishii. Before we get into this match, what are your thoughts on Ishii in general? Oh, I love Ishii. I think there's there's no one else like him. He's very simple to get which is great you know he's just walks to the ring let's wrestle okay we're done i'm out you know even if he wins he's in the main event he's still not going to get on the mic he just walks out i don't know there's just something about him like he's not the biggest guy but he feels like he's a huge guy and it's just in the way he wrestles and the moves he pulls off like seeing him uh, do his stalling vertical suplex against someone like keith lee who's literally double his size is just the most impressive thing to see just, that was back in rev pro if i remember correctly yeah yeah i don't know if they had one more than one match but i remember again that was at your call so i was there and it, it's just it, he's He's a, his own animal. I don't think there's really anyone you can compare Ishii to. Lovely stuff. And like the match itself now, it, we're kicking into here. What were your thoughts on this match between Ishii and Mox? I, this was really the one, wasn't it, where everyone was like, okay, this is going to be Moxley's coming out party. I the think. acid test, if you will. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the main event of Corrigan Hall, this hallowed ground where just the, the crowd is always at its peak in Corrigan Hall, especially for a G1 when you consider how important and big the G1 is and the size of the venues it finishes in. Corrigan is tiny in comparison. So it's all, you know, the fans are on top of it. They're going crazy. Moxley comes in through the crowd and he's bloody throwing chairs all over the place and the crowd doesn't really know what to do and shooters kind of running after him with the belt. And it's just, it feels very crazy. They, they, and they, they don't stop. I don't know if there's a, like a rest hold or a submission move in the entire match. It just feels like it's non-stop for the 20 odd minutes that it goes on for. And was there any spots in particular that you really felt, well, this speaks to me? Like, cause, like it, it's for me, it was like an amazing, incredible belt. Like with top drawer, G1 accidents, for and both men raised the bar for their for their tenures here in this year's tournament. Yeah, I mean, the spot, of course, is the uh, the table spot because you never see. Well, you see as you go to the top rope and it's for a, a suplex, which he often does. But I don't think, well, maybe he has, but I've certainly never seen Ishii do a dive from the top rope, let alone a dive from the top rope to the outside through a table. It was just crazy to see Tomohiro Ishii, of all people, do that. And then the match itself, like, you know, Moxley, I don't know if he had used it before, but he does in this movie, he does the running knee. He just kind of spins in midair and lands perfectly in a pin. And it doesn't look like that could be planned at all. It just happened to be the perfect uh, situation and perfect bit of luck well that table spot definitely was a, a kodak moment if you will especially because yeah. it, it was teased beforehand and 
for me, when he's first time watching it, I forgot about it. It was still there. And then by the time they get back to it and you see Ishii climb the top, you're like, holy shit, is he, he's actually going to do this. Like, this was, <laughs> it was, like you say, it was kind of unprecedented for the big man at the stage. And But mm-hmm. not just that, but there was some nasty chair shots. And the one thing I'd like to ask you is, like, what is your opinion on the, the, the disqualification referee sort of situation with New Japan and use of weapons and chairs on the outside? There's some people, they get a lot of flack for it. But as a man who is a, a seasoned viewer of it, what's your take? I don't mind it or I again it, it's normal to me though so maybe I'm desensitized to it a bit it's kind of currently with House of Torture it's a bit too much like just so much stuff going on all the time it just to an extent it does make the referees look like complete idiot um which is obviously never a good thing but I enjoy the fact that every so often the referees kind of get their comeuppance like Red Shoes Uno will turn a blind eye to the, the good guy the baby face doing something to the heel or he'll refuse to count or you know he'll just push the wrestler back or something like that. But um, I think it's all, you know, it's that Kevin Kelly always says it on commentary. No one wants to see this match ending of disqualification or anything like that. And it's the referee's discretion at the end of the day. I think Kevin Kelly does a great job of giving it some authenticity rather than just saying the referee's just letting whatever he wants happen. He gives it some credibility as to why the referee is doing it that's in the referee usually in fairness if it's a heel at her doing something nasty despicable on the outside the referee usually just won't count, count yeah the exactly then. they, they roll back in the ring and the referee says no that's it i think it makes sense in that sense he's like listen you can use that weapon but i'm not i'm not going to count this guy off for this chair shot you're gonna have to wait for a while and we're gonna get mm-hmm. back into this and this is not going to end this way and like the match again the, the table spot's the big one but there's some of the really good ones in it there's a really good spot halfway through where mox is absolutely battering ishii relentlessly and Ishii then does no set no cells it completely and clobbers Mox with an absolute lariat. And it's like, wow, this is this really got me to, to get this match into another level, another stratosphere for me. Yeah, I think as well, like seemingly Moxie's great at just, <laughs> I don't, it, it's not something he could be great at, but when he hits a lariat or gets hit with a lariat, you just see the sweat flying, which always makes for a great <laughs> visual. It does, it does. There's another really good spot as well where Mox hits a German, he, again, no sell by Ishii, who just absolutely again plows into him with a big fire fireman lariat, and it's just little things like this. I just think Mox and Ishii just had great chemistry together. Yeah, hundred percent. Like they hit some headbutts as well, which, given everything that's happened with you know Shibata being my favorite wrestler and everything, it's always kind of hard to watch. And yes, the headbutts well, are pretty pretty grim, but they're not too horrible, thankfully. They're not too bad. To be honest with you, headbutts are always one of those things where, like, unless they're done well, and usually when they're done well, they're going to be painful. I do, you mm-hmm. don't want to see them because they don't want to see anyone yeah. get hurt, but then you don't want to see a weak headbutt either. Where do you uh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very much, if you're going to do it, do it, but please don't do it because I don't want anything bad to happen. Exactly. But at the same time, if you're going to do it, then, like, fucking do it man I, I don't know how familiar you are with his history with William Regal but there's nice throwbacks to his feud with Regal he's started to really use the Regal knee trembler and the, the, the Regal knee if you will during this G1 climax and like these are little bits that are just again you reward the long-term fan here yeah that's something that I think wrestling in general is great at uh, especially outside of WWE at the very least. Uh, and it's something that New, J- New Japan is obviously great at as well, is that they acknowledge their history. It's something Moxley is obviously very aware of. And, you know, he implements it into his work in AEW. He's done it nonstop since he's left WWE, just these little nods and nuances that will pay off the long-term fan and uh, or the long-term viewer. And there's one thing I will say about Ishii as well, and I think this is something he doesn't get credit for. He is magnificent at selling. He, You feel that when Mox has hit, throttled him, he he makes it look real. He makes it look believable, and then everyone looks stronger as a result. Yeah, he is fantastic. He, like, he does the no-selling spots, and then eventually it 
will just get too much for him like he's fought for it but now the pain is too much and he kind of like you know wobble in the ring a bit maybe and fall over he can fight for it but there's a, a limit to what he can get for it and this was mox's fourth main event in new japan dave gives it five stars dave Meltzer, what would you yeah. give this rating i probably would i, I uh, i'm not a, a, the type of guy person that does star ratings uh but I probably would have, especially at the time, I remember just thinking it was the, the greatest fucking match. It just it was the perfect storm because, like I said, it was the coming out party for Moxley. He had this perfect opponent in Ishii. You know, I think as well in, in Moxley's book, I don't know if you've read it, He like one of the earliest chapters is him talking about this match. Like he was so excited for this and it's evident in the ring that how much he was looking forward to it and how amped up he was for it. He was motivated because, like, you have to remember for the past, you know, six, seven years, he had been working the WWE style and he was restricted, as most people tend to be, you know, and like, but this guy came in with such enthusiasm to sort of not only prove that he could do things that were outside of the WWE realm, but also to prove that, listen, I'm not here just to, to have a match and go home and collect a paycheck. I'm here to, to be the Mr. G1 this year. I'm going to show you that I deserve to be here. I'm on par with the likes of Tanahashi, Omega, Okada, especially Omega, considering the feud that was going on in AEW. And mm-hmm. I think so far, especially at this match, he has set a standard here for it, and people appreciate him for it. Yeah, exactly. I Like I said, I think the first two matches aren't any fault. He's only if Moxley versus Taichi or versus Cobb happens again they're, now. They're perfectly fine matches. Yeah, I think if they happen again now, they'll be completely different matches, and that's because Cobb is just this different beast in New Japan. Something's evolved. Exactly, and Taichi has really come into his own as well. I'm a big um, fan of Taichi. I just think oh, he's yeah, one of guys that, he, he, like you, I think you had mentioned it earlier, he's something different that New Japan hadn't got at the time. Now, he's, he's an acquired taste to a certain extent, but I like the guy. Yeah, I think I think most people do now. I think people that aren't necessarily fans of Taichi aren't aware of his past couple of years with Zach as Dangerous Techers and how good he's been in the G1 since. It's kind of one of those things where it's probably, he definitely had a bad consensus about him, but that's been washed away by, for for anyone that's really keeping up with New Japan. So, so Mox is on three wins at this stage. Were you expecting him to be so strong at the moment? Three wins out of three? Yeah, I mean, I I think I've done a pick-ems uh, going into it. And oh, it they're, like, always, well, they're always dead with me. I just get out <laughs> wrong every year. Um, and it was like, okay, he's obviously going to do well. He's the IWGP US Heavyweight Champion. This is his first G1. He's going to be in contention for making the finals. And I was like, there's, in my head, I was like, there's no way he reaches the finals. Though. I think that's just a step too far. Right? I think he's in contention on the final night and misses out. But I'm hard pushed to see Moxley making the G1 final. Um, so it was kind of what I was expecting so far. There wasn't anything unexpected. So he's coming in here with three wins in the bag. And he must face a familiar face in Shingo Tagagi. Now, what do you like about Shingo? And were you familiar with the history between these two? Uh, no, I'm not aware of any history. I assume it's something Dragon Gate related. Oh, uh, it is. They were in the Kamikaze USA stable back in 2010, 2011 in Dragon Gate USA. And they were there with also other notable names like Kiritazawa, El Generico was there, Gran Akuma. But yeah, there was, a, there was, there was history there. They know each other, were familiar with each other. And these guys are coming in here completely different men than you were you know nine years previous yeah no i I had no idea but um about shingo himself i i I don't think there's anyone who doesn't love shingo he's uh yeah no he's undeniably one of the best going today his championship run last year was superb it was exactly what new japan needed they needed some stability brought to the new iwgp world heavyweight championship and it was fresh Uh, too Oh yeah, yeah. It, it felt really, it felt really deserved. You know, he it kind of was perhaps never gonna happen if 
the situations hadn't arisen that had in Ibushi getting injured and uh, uh, Osprey then getting injured. But I'm glad it happened and that he had a solid run and it wasn't just, you know, like a, a zero defence title reign or anything like that. And this match here, of course, in the fourth match for Moxley here in G1, what were your thoughts of the story you told here? It was bizarre considering the finish was obviously, you know, Moxley spent a large portion of the match going after Shingo's leg, um, you know, hitting dragon screws and things like that, uh, that you wouldn't, that we've probably never seen from Moxley before. But to finish with, for Moxley to not only win with a submission, but it's potentially Shingo's only submission loss still to this day in New Japan. Yeah, it was a fantastic bit of a, a bit of a shine you got here. Yeah, it's very, it was a, a very bizarre choice. Um, I felt now as like I'm a fan of John Moxley, but I call it spade a spade. I felt this was like an undeserved sort of accomplishment. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like I don't think it felt out of place in the match necessarily because Moxley had spent a fair portion of the match working on the leg. But considering neither man is remotely technical, so it was a given... nice piece of variety. I felt I felt like like we expected obviously an absolute hard hitting affair with Ishii. So I think both guys were they wanted to show it a different strength to their arsenal, at least give them a chance to show a little bit of variety to the fans anyway. But like this, again, like you said, it was unorthodox and probably alien-like to view these two guys in a more of a legwork sort of situation. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe Moxie was, perhaps the mindset was, you know, Shingo and Ishii aren't the most diverse wrestlers in the world. They're pretty similar. Like you would certainly categorize them in the same category. So maybe he wanted to, you know, like you said, offer some variety and make it a bit distinct from the issue match. And that's why he went the way he did with targeting the leg and things like that. You know, maybe to show, you know, yes, I can have a five star brawling classic with issue, but I can also pull out a bit of a technical side. Fuck you to anyone that tries to pigeonhole me, which was the entirety of this G1 was seemed like a kind of fuck you to WWE and everyone that thought he was just one person when he's capable of so much more. That's it. Like I do think he's he's not a Brian Danielson or a Carl in the ring or Omega. Mm-hmm. Like he's like he's not a complete all rounder, but he is, and he is limited to a certain extent. But like it's good to be able to see a variety, and this the only way you're going to learn and get better is by doing it. So I look at these kind of matches and think, well, listen, it's it's still a very excellent match. I really enjoyed it. It was like I said, it was a bit of a foreign kind of match in terms of the style both men worked. But this is why people improve, and this is why people get to the expect experience that they're going to be able to develop their careers. And I felt this was a a nice different change of pace for both guys. And again, some really nice spots and that Death Valley driver to the outside that was like, mm-hmm. oh god, it was brilliant. Yeah, no, as well. Like Jashingo does a great job with the leg as well. Like he picks up Moxley for. Uh last of the dragon and his leg buckles and he lets go of moxley because of it it all does playing to the ending it's not like moxley works the leg forgets about leg and then oh wins with a leg submission he does kind of focus on it a lot and shingo certainly does a great job of reminding you that his leg is pretty fucked up and that's it's little things like this that make both guys shine mm-hmm. like if if he's able to sell and make it believable that his knee is fucked like moxley's gonna look like a killer and again he looks like he's targeting this knee the whole match this the cloverly finish again was unexpected but like it just puts him over as a guy that can probably win a match in a different way than the death rider as he has been winning or any sort of you know variations on that and he, he listen wins can come out of anywhere and i think that's any sort of match can benefit from this long term yeah exactly like he you know he dumps shingo like picks him up by one leg and dumps the other knee on the table and as j- tables in japan tend to do it doesn't sell it in the slightest and shingo just bounces off of it 
Um, and the, com- the commentary sell this as well really well that the commentary put this over there saying Shingo's strength is in his legs this is where things if you're going to take out Shingo's abilities to perform as much take his legs out and again it just commentary should be doing this no matter where they are always making people just think about the logic about what the match is mm-hmm. trying to tell and like uh, one thing I do always find funny as well is that like, Mox shows an unbelievable amount of respect to Red Shoes and all the referees throughout this he does doesn't he like when Red Shoes asks him to get back in the ring he like shakes his hand and bows down and says sorry and things like that doesn't he like he's a mischievous little scamp. Oh, he is. Moxie's now on four wins out of four. Again, this, he's, he's gathering absolutely killer momentum here and he's he's going on to G1 and he's looking unbe- unbeatable at this stage. Do you think at this stage that this guy can go all the way? I think I'm still... Uh, I'm now like, okay, maybe he is going to make the finals because I don't think at the time there was necessarily anyone doing as well as him. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but the big tell for me was... Uh, and obviously we'll get to it was the next match versus Naito considering who Naito is and everything that comes with that that was going to be a big tell whether okay is Moxie actually going to make the finals or not that's it now if you were going to give this match a rating again you're not really into ratings but I'm going to push it on the show today what would you give this probably go at least a four I guess solid excellent sort of work nothing yeah match of the year contenders but definitely enjoyable and I don't think I ever felt bored during it if you know what I mean sometimes you're, you're like I say you're, you if you it matches isn't too good you're, you're reaching for your phone or you're going to grab a bit of food or whatever but this this wasn't the case at all no no definitely not mate probably more than a four like I said I don't really I'm awful at this it's why I don't do um match ratings uh because I'm very much more I think I'm invested more into the emotional side of it which you don't really get in a match between well I didn't know the history so for some it certainly would have been a lot was, of story and emotion sort of history to be fair and to be our history isn't needed for the match it's a great it's a, it's a quintessential G1 match it fits in perfectly and it's gonna have its fans that will love it forever but for many it's not going to be one that gets remembered past the G1 and we're on to night 10 now at the moment and four wins out of four he has momentum the stage is set between him and a, well I wouldn't say struggling but a, an under underwhelming performances at the moment from Tetsu uh, Nato so like Naito's in here he's he's lost already two matches himself he's won two he's in danger of probably going out and being eliminated this is where I'm thinking, this is where Moxie takes his first loss. What do you think, yeah. first of all, of, of, of Naito and first of all, and like where he is at the stage in this G1? Oh, 100%. I was the exact same. Um, I was like, you know, Naito was the IWGP Intercontinental Champion. Uh, fun with Naito is always in the chase. He's never the type of guy that's going to come out guns blazing in the G1. He's always going to scrape by and just get in because that's what we want to see from Naito. And that's what the fans want. They don't want him to just breeze through and win. Uh, because there's no fun in there, especially not with Naito, who's somewhat of an underdog, but obviously the anti-hero. But yeah, no, I 100% thought, okay, this is where Moxie's going to take his first loss. The Intercontinental Championship is, of course, higher than the US. And if Moxie wins this, that means he's essentially guaranteed almost a spot in the G1 final. Like, he just had to win one more match, basically, and he'd be there. So this has got to be the end of Moxie's dream G1 run. The match itself now, again, it starts off with Naito, He's, he's, he's strolling down, taking his absolute time, doing, yeah. giving his best shit, and you can see the frustration. <laughs> it's just all over Moxley's faces. Like, the story that you tell here is basically Moxley's going to try and get his hands on this guy, and he's going to be frustrated in his attempts to do so by a much more clever and savvy uh, Naito. So what was your thoughts? I love, like, when Naito takes the piss with his entrance, and he really <laughs> takes the piss with Moxley. Great, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic, um, especially because it works, because Moxley is this rabid dog that just wants to fight and he wants to get going and he's 100 he's miles per hour. He's putting it exactly. over with his frustration. Exactly. Like, it doesn't work on some guys because they will just be chill and say, okay, take your time. But that's not Moxley at all. Um, so he was the perfect foil for Naito to do 
Naito's uh, Naito's routine, and Naito certainly amped it up for the occasion. And like, then she gets his hands on him, mm-hmm. he mocks him with the with the the, the traditional uh, pose in the middle of the ring, which is I thought was a nice little touch. And they're having a bit of fun here, but then they get really stuck into things, and it gets a bit of into a wild brawl, and it, it really. You really feel like the, the levels of intensity are sort of set up when um, Moxie gets hit with a he's, he's on the chair and he gets hit with an absolute steamroller. Yeah, and they like really fight through the crowd. Great visual where the camera's far out and Moxley just throws Naito through the barricade and he just comes out of the sea of people and suddenly he's flying like sideways through the air, through the barricade. Naito kind of gets his own back and then Moxley just turns around and throws him into about 10 people that are like poorly unsuspecting that they're going to end up with a Naito on their lap. That's it. Like, and just, like, the one thing I liked about this match really was was the intensity and Moxie trying to chase him and trying to catch him. And when he does, it's like, you know, listen, like, is his frustration going to get the better him? Because Naito is much more cooler. He's calmer. And I think the story was set up for a Naito win, that he was just going to use his brains to sort of outfox the much more angrier and more yeah. ruthless Moxley. But it wasn't the case. It was such a surprise. Yeah, no, I, I think this match is pretty damn great on its own like just if you were to stick on today you're going to have a great time watching it but yeah the uncertainty and the unknown of it all of is moxie going to be treated as a top guy in new japan is he a iwgp heavyweight contender or just where is he going to stand because he's going up against naito who is the one of the top three in new japan at the time what, what was... do you think of the finish though as well the finish itself like was again it looked like it was set up for the win for Naito, but Moxley, he gets the better of him and he, he ramps and puts him head force twice with two absolute killer Death Rider DDTs. Yeah, again, I think it's really cementing Moxley's place in New Japan, isn't it? But while saying that, you know, Naito is also up there as well, which is why you're going to have to hit him with two compared to the usual one. I think as well, I've, I don't know if Moxley said this in an interview or if it was in his book or something, but apparently he just said to Naito, um, when taking this move, uh, obviously there's a language barrier, and I think Moxley had hit this same move against Kofi Kingston, it was. And uh, Moxley just showed Naito a video of how Kofi Kingston took it, and Naito was like, okay, cool. And Moxley was like, Naito took it beautifully. Because like, it was basically his usual Death Rider, but I think he makes it a lot more vertical, and it's basically Naito just coming down straight down on his head, which is Naito's speciality, taking ridiculous bumps on his head and neck. Which he did about three or four times during this match. Like He took took a Rana, which he actually performed, and he literally landed on his own head. Mm -hmm. And There was an old-school Bulldog DDT planted like a lawn dart, Naito just looks absolutely he makes him look a million bucks yeah Naito is so well-rounded he's like I absolutely love Naito he's not like one of the best things that New Japan have had for a very very long time and he's like I said he's the joy of Naito is when he is going from underneath there's every chance that we get a rematch because you know Moxie's one up and Naito hasn't had the chance to yeah try and equal the playing damn you pandemic and like yeah it, 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 listen it is what it is but the one thing I'll always describe Naito with is it's effortless. I always look at him and think, mm-hmm. it looks like he doesn't give a shit. It looks like he's unmotivated, but then he kicks into gear and he just does, it, everything seems to happen with such ease. And, you know, like I said, effortless. That Moxley looks like a million bucks. This guy, he never looks like he breaks a sweat. Yeah, he does, but he does it so well. That it's just, he doesn't look like he tries too hard. And that's, he's an absolute pro. Yeah, that's why he's so cool, isn't it? Um, goes from being a little prick, rascal. basically. Yeah, <laughs> rascal for the opening. And I'm just going to take my time. I'm going to pretend to go for a lockup and I'm not going to go for a lockup. And then two minutes later, it's like, okay, we're running as quick as we can. We're taking insane bumps on our necks and everything. He 
He'll be in the middle of a forearm exchange and he'll get a wry smile on his face. You know, in the Moxley match, he takes the piss of Moxley when he does his little arm things during a forearm exchange. He's just, he's great at the little things, Naito. He is. That's the little things that make up a really good match. It's like, you know, they can just take a good match to being a great match. And there was one mm-hmm. little spot in this match, actually, that I don't know if you noticed, but in the previous match with Ishii, basically Moxley goes to clobber him with a, uh, with a cl- sliding clothesline, but Ishii catches him and yep, gives yep. him an absolute ball break in Uranagi. And the same thing happens in this match. Naito goes to try and do it but Mox is it's like he's learned from his experience he's not getting caught with this move straight away and he reverses it and delivers his own Uranagi this time it's like this is this is little things that like reward the viewer of the last few nights and it carries on a little story and I don't know this this is the thing that makes progressing great for me 100% yeah and like we said Mox is seemingly very good at doing that just making these little these little bits of nuance that reward the viewer and I love as well like after that um, the top rope Frankenstein spot where Naito basically kills him himself he, he then charges at moxley and moxley does like a spinning lariat and just absolutely decapitates naito as well as if his neck isn't already buggered enough from just landing on it from a top rope that's it and for two guys who are like in the prime of their career knee at this point they're killing each other and they're selling for each other and mm-hmm. they're, they're making each other look great and that's how wrestling should be it should be a dance where we're both trying to make each other look great because when we both look great you know we both get over and you know everyone looks strong even even the guy who loses the match and like Nilo still looks very strong he comes off here after been in a war he's fallen short but he still amps up the rest of the story for him as he continues to this G1 obviously he's struggling to try and find a way and now we have Moxley who's on a complete winning streak Nilo needs this guy to lose and his next match is against uh, Toriano you know so yep. you know Yano like it's never a foregone conclusion no matter mm-hmm. how much of a, a, a yeah. joke character he is sometimes as people he is the thief and at this point here Moxley and Nilo have really delivered here and Moxley in particular now he's having an absolute killer G1 in his last three matches these were three great matches that really showed his strengths and his versatility the fact that he absolutely loves a war yeah no this was you start off with two very average matches where Moxley is just kind of part of the G1 and then with these three matches it's really like this is Moxley's G1 like the B block is really about Moxley now he's had these three outstanding matches they're all at least four stars not four and a half and obviously the issue match got five stars and that is really what why we watched the G1 because we know it's going to be banger after banger after banger night after night after night and Moxley was proving that not only could he hang and do that but he was arguably the MVP of it. And these three matches were completely excellent for different variety of reasons. How would you rank them? Would you, would you, which one was your favourite out of all three? I mean, in on its own, just in a, in a uh, vacuum, I would probably say the issue match, but having rewatched them all and remembering how invested I was in this G1, I think just the Naito match would probably be my favourite of them all because I love Naito more than I do Ishii. And it was this big unknown of if Moxie wins this, he's pretty much a shoo-in for winning the tournament. So there's no way he's going to beat Naito now. Moxie's going to get his first loss. But this is the G1. Anyone beats anyone, Moxie's on a roll. Is he actually going to do it? I was very invested in this match from who's going to get the most points in the G1, who's going to make the final standpoint rather than just wanting to see a good match. Yeah, and the Naito a- match was also an awesome match. It was like the last five minutes of a, of a really decisive, you know, World Cup final, you know, like where like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can see one team is already comfortable. They don't need necessary to keep going for the attack. But Naito needs to do this. He needs to he needs to press on here and he needs this win more than anything else. And he needs to bring this to extra time for himself in the G1. But like Ishii Machiri gets out of all three, I think he really got the, the most sort of critical acclaim. But for me, I, I have yeah. to agree with you. I think the Naito match for me, from a storytelling point of view, from mm-hmm. an in-ring perspective, it really it hits everything. 
there was no real drama necessary in the Ishii match that this one had because you want to see could could Naito do this was this where Moxie gets the you know the super push and the drama and the, the storytelling here were, were clear sort of indicators that this gave this a little bit more juice and a little bit more of an enjoyment for me personally yeah I think Ishii and Moxie is the type of match that you show to someone that maybe doesn't know much about wrestling because they just want to see something cool but there's a lot more under there's a lot more going on in the Naito match that's more than just the face value of wrestling in the ring there's the story being told like you said and everything surrounding it in regards to the G1 you, you mentioned people who haven't watched wrestling and then my own daughter she's seven and she she knows WWE and I don't let her watch New Japan or anything that's too gory on any of these sort of uh, you know promotions but yeah. uh, she walked in at me watching the, the Juice Robinson match there a couple of a couple of weeks ago and of course I'm like you know I'm shooting her out there it's like no we've already got a little <laughs> bit of blood here they're going through tables and Juice is nearly you know, broke his tailbone on his spots. I'm like, yeah. no, no, you, you go out of the room here, and I'm gonna like. <laughs> and she she has no interest in New Japan. She has no very. She she likes Charlotte Flair. That's where she lets her game is really at the moment. But she, the fact that I told her no is like, well, she really wants to watch this now. She's she's yeah, invested. Of I'm, I'm gonna try and pre- keep her away from this as long as possible. So that way she really <laughs> wants to see. You know, then I'll I don't know. I'm gonna show her Okada and Omega, and just gonna let the whole thing do the rest of it when yeah, she's yeah. about ten or twelve. <laughs> blow, blow our young mind. That's it. But at the end of the show, her we always like to get the guest's feelings is on John Moxie and his sort of best performance or his best match or his best moment throughout his career. Kieran, what is your favourite John Moxley Dean Ambrose moment? Um, I would possibly say it's definitely nothing WWE related. Um, I really can't remember much of his time in no, WWE. No one ever really goes there. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I Funny think enough. probably his feud and then the match with Suzuki, the original one that ended at the, uh, the new beginning. It's got a special place in my heart because I was at the uh, Wrestle Kingdom 14, the double nights in Tokyo Dome for the first Very time. Jealous. And Very of course, the second night he faced Juice Robinson and uh, Minoru Suzuki made his appearance and confronted Moxley. And funny story is that uh, Moxley beat Juice and I was like, great, I'm going to run to the toilet. Tokyo Dome is huge. So like I literally ran to the toilet no i walked to the toilet that's a lie and then someone's music started playing and it was like the beginning of suzuki's the dun, 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 dun. you were and like i was i was rushing like back. I, I was like i recognize that music i was like who's that and then it kicked you a went, bit more you went mid toilet stream at this stage because then you yeah. can't do anything about and i was like <laughs> and, and i was like oh fuck it's suzuki and i was in the queue and the queue was moving quick because it's a lad's toilet and i like that went as quick as i could wash my hands i ran back to my seat and literally, I was running for probably a minute because the Tokyo Dome is so goddamn big. And um, I ran down the stairs to my seat and I was I sat on the stairs and whacked out my phone because I wanted to get the Tokyo Dome screaming Karzani Nare. And there's this poor lady that works there who's, you know, going around with the beer thing on her back, pouring beers for anyone who wants one. And I'm in this poor lady's way trying to do a video whilst I'm screaming Karzani Nare. Feud with Suzuki because then... um. The next night at New Year's Dash, Moxley isn't on the card and he shows up in Ota Ward and attacks Suzuki. I think he put Suzuki for a tape. No, he didn't. He just laid out Suzuki and Suzuki had this big grin on his face like, this is fun. <laughs> and they had all the backstage comments that were great. And then Moxley teamed with Okada and he had the eye patch on and everything. And those like build up matches were great. And then the match itself was just chaos. Like they were shot fighting each other with barricade. It was everything you wanted. And it was the dream match that most people went 
Moxley was announced for New Japan, they was like, like we want to see him versus Suzuki. I think it done everything it needed to and more. Oh, great. It's great. great that, like, I think you've asked that to so many people now over the last 10 or 12 weeks. And it's great to hear a different answer every time. And that one, that's how I put a smile on my face. Thank you. <laughs> no, but cheers, Kieran. Thanks for coming on. Where can people find you, find your podcast and find your work? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at KieranRH93. As mentioned at the top, I work with Wrestle In and uh, I'm part of, I host a new Japan podcast, Wrestle in is i double n uh, twitter at wrestle in wrestling.com or search wrestle in wherever you listen to podcasts and thanks very much kieran for coming on the show today and that is the end of the show you can catch me over on twitter at awesome joe or you can actually look up the podcast twitter as well which is at mox podcast all on twitter thanks very much for joining us guys and we'll see you next time take care